to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Under three things, the earthquakes, and under four, it cannot bear up. This is typical Proverbs language, under three things, and then it mentions four. But the first one of those things is under a slave when he becomes king. The first thing that the earthquakes under and can't bear up is when a slave becomes a king. Have you ever worked for a boss who shouldn't really be a boss? <laughs> Have you ever worked for someone who where you used to be the boss and now they are? Have you ever done that? Do you have trouble with authority? Then maybe this verse might help you. 1 Samuel 15, just a little bit of a contrast thought here. Verse 11 says, And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Hang in with me. It's all going to come together soon. Last week we learned that Samuel's heart sank. When the people asked for a king, he'd been like the judge, the leader of Israel, but now they wanted a king. But he rose above his own desires and faithfully sought God for the good of the people by anointing and serving under Saul in 1 Samuel 10 verse 1. So here's Samuel who had been the leader now faithfully serving Saul. Samuel really wanted to believe in Saul, Israel's first king. So much so that he prayed all night for the guy in chapter 15, verse 11. Can you imagine how hard that was for this old prophet who judged Israel and served God's people all his life? This same night while Samuel's Hard out praying, Saul most likely slept like a log, dreaming of the monument he planned to build to his own success in the morning. Two men, two men, completely different worldviews, you know, and I can't stress how this was really uh, the difference between Samuel's heart and Saul's heart. Success was very reassuring for Saul since he actually suffered under a low, low self-esteem. And I'm calling that the plight of pauperhood. What we do with success and what we do with failure is very telling of our character and our walk with God. Do we attribute successes to the Lord? Or do we actually just rate ourselves by other people's opinions? Do we accept failure as a lesson and trust in God's grace? Or do we wallow in self-pity or self-put-downs? I learned a massive uh, lesson in prayer one night in, in India many, many years ago. I couldn't sleep, and so I went up onto the roof of our building where our mission team was staying. 
And to my surprise, a young Indian trainee pastor was pouring his heart out to the Lord. He was just engulfed in this. He was so passionate, he was completely unaware that I was there. For about 10 or 15 minutes, I observed a young man interceding for us. And in particular, for one of our guys called Keith. That's the only word I could understand. Uh, But this was true intercession. And it just really challenged my heart. It really challenged me about team and, and selfless prayer. I just slipped away, not sure, you know, how long he'd been there or how long he was going to stay there. But we do know that Samuel prayed to the Lord all night for Saul. Wow. It gets pretty tiring around about 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning. That's the, the graveyard shift they call that. True servants of the Lord put prayer for others over personal hurts. Did you catch that? True servants of the Lord put prayer for others over personal hurts. So if we go back a few chapters, several incidents give us a clue that Saul, Israel's first king, suffered from the plight of pauperhood, i.e. low self-esteem, slave mentality, and the fear of man. See, even after the man of God, Samuel, had anointed Saul king, he was a reluctant leader. And we're going back a few chapters to the big moment, the reveal, as Samuel addresses the whole nation at Mizpah in chapter 10, verse 17. He calls each tribe to to come past, to present themselves uh, in families. And he singles out the Benjamites. And they finally, all the Benjamites are going past. And then the family of Kish, Saul's father, comes past and he singles out the family of Kish. And then he's about to do the big drum roll. You know, here's this man, the first king of the nation. He's a no-show. Saul is not to be found. They finally find him hiding in the baggage. His fear of what people think of him remains, you know. Yeah, talk about an anticlimax. Saul's troubles continue. Despite initial success of ridding a few enemies of Israel, in chapter 11, there it is, his fear of what people think of him is still there. In chapter 13, tensions mounting as they take on yet another big enemy of of, of Israel called the Philistines. And they're in for another stoush with the Philistines. And the tensions mounting, Paul panics when he does the maths. He weighs up the odds and he realizes his own guys are just completely outnumbered. And they're starting to hide in caves and rocks for fear. So he offers a burnt offering himself, something only the priest should do. Samuel turns up. Just as it's all done and dusted. And he says, what do you think you're doing? In other words, basically in modern language, what do you think you're doing? Have you ever had that happen to you? You just thought you'd take a bit of initiative and someone comes along, what did you do that for? 
you idiot. Anyway, no one's nodding. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, must be just me. If you've got even an ounce of regret, it's not a great feeling, is it? To be questioned, what do you think you're doing? But instead of repentance, Saul justifies himself. Another symptom of slave mentality. He justifies what he's just done. Samuel informs Saul at that moment that he's basically just signed his death of remaining king warrant, <laughs> if that makes sense. Saul's troubles then go from bad to worse when he fails to completely wipe out another wicked group of foes called the Amalekites in chapter 15. Saul takes their king Agag captive along with their best, their choicest livestock against God's command. That's the key, key three words, against God's command. Let's turn and read this story in Samuel 15, bit of a long one, 10 to 23. Reading from New American Standard Version. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and he cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. And before he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, all cheery, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I've carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What's this bleating of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, not quite so cheerfully, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Notice the third party there, not his God, your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, it's good, good, good counseling, isn't it? Ask the person, if, do you mind if I tell you something? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Saul says, speak. And Samuel said, it is not true. Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the, the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Dun, dun, dun. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and destroyed the Amalekites. But the people did, did take some of the spoil, sheep and oxen and choicest of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Some big words there. Not going to explain them. But because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Wow. Heavy story. Heavy rap, eh? While Samuel is kind of recovering from a sleepless night of prayer for Saul, Saul, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, heads off to Gilgal, about seven miles south of Hebron. And this is the place he was made king. This was the same place where he was made king. And it was kind of like his happy place. You know, sometimes we go back to our happy place thinking that even though we've stuffed up a little bit, just get back to the happy place, it'll be all okay. You know, we justify what we've done by getting back to our happy place. And we find that that same blessing is not the same as before. God wants us to be led by his Spirit's voice daily, today, and to not simply rely on what worked in the past. You see, in his disobedience, Saul was looking for a feel-good experience again. But what he got was when Samuel finally caught up with him, these guys were pretty fit, eh? Seven-mile jog. <laughs> was a stern rebuke. That's what he got. Not his happy place. Instead of a repentant response, oh, Saul blows it again. Samuel just gets the same old self-justification and half-hearted attempt to, to pretend he's going to worship. This half-hearted worship talk he got last time, Saul failed. Samuel was not saying that sacrifice and burnt offerings are wrong. I'll say that again. Samuel's not saying that sacrifice and burnt offerings are wrong, unimportant or bad. He's saying obedience is better. Amen? We can sacrifice, do good deeds, do all that we like and think that's enough. But obedience is better. You know, Saul had broken the covenant relationship with God that went with his office, the office of king. And he'd broken this covenant relationship with God. Not Samuel. He'd sinned before God. The king's job was to carry out on earth the real king's will. He was to be an instrument of the Lord's rule over the people. And instead, he simply couldn't bear to see good animals go to waste and not based, and he took it on himself to bring home a trophy king on a rope in order to grope. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> of course he had tried to justify the whole thing by calling it worship. But true worship is the overflow of obedience. Did you catch that? True worship is the overflow of obedience. Israel did not bear up under a pauper who became a king. 
So what do we learn from this overarching plan of God? To firstly allow Israel even to have a king, and then to choose Saul. You could actually say, what was God thinking? But there's always a plan, an overarching plan. I believe the mega biblical narrative is that everything points to Jesus. By allowing Israel to have a string of kings, some good, some bad, we catch a glimpse of the fact that none compare with King Jesus. Amen? Who would come at the right moment and who would obey Father God in every detail. And he would display both sacrifice and obedience in one amazing act of selfless dying for sins he had not committed. For selflessly dying for sins he had not committed. He died for my sin. By coming in person, by Jesus coming in person with skin on, Jesus clearly showed what a real king looked like and spoke like. But most importantly, what a real king would act like when it seemed like his world had fallen apart and that he had failed. That's our real king. When everyone thought he'd failed, they said, there's this man who saved others. Can't he even save himself? Jesus displayed his true royalty by absolute surrender to and trust in Father God at all times, but especially in Gethsemane. What were his words? Not my will, but thine be done. He didn't justify himself before Pilate. He didn't justify himself before Herod, but was as a lamb before the slaughter. What a contrast to Saul, who when confronted with the prospect of failure and then the temptation to just keep the best displayed slave thinking, You see, by differentiating between good and best, he was, in this this case, mocking the act of sacrificing everything to the Lord. In this case, when we think that good works will earn us brownie points with the Lord, we are saying that God's best, Jesus, isn't enough if we think we can earn our way to heaven. We're saying Jesus didn't have to die. Worse still, only doing things to be noticed is to stroke our need to overcome a low self-image. So here's a quick little quiz regarding where we might be at, and we're all here at some point. And you don't need to answer. No, please, no hands. (laughs) Do you catch yourself needing to put others down or being sarcastic just to feel good about yourself? Number two, are you happy 
when others succeed or are blessed and you're still waiting for breakthrough? Number three in the quiz. Do you find it hard to agree or comply with decisions made by those in authority? Four, do you belittle or withhold your God-given talents? Oh, no, I'm, I'm useless. Oh, I'm not very good. Oh, no. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Uh, you offended easily. The list could go on, but you get the you get the idea. We've we've all got this this problem to some degree, but we can become sons and daughters of our royal King Jesus. And to become true royal sons and daughters of the King of Kings, we just need to receive his gift of adoption into his family, into his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Galatians 4.7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Hallelujah. It's God's pleasure to invite us as adopted sons and daughters into his royal ways. We have been redeemed by the highest price so that, that we could be freed the highest price that could ever be paid, the blood of Jesus. And now it's time to learn his royal ways of thinking and living. See, learning the supernatural ways of royalty does not make us kings and queens. Hear me right. I'm not suggesting that we become kings and queens. We become sons and daughters of the true king. Adopted and redeemed, and then we start to have that cleaning process. It's a journey of thinking and acting as a prince or princess. Because we become a royal priesthood, according to scripture, we are to have influence. Influence over our family, influence over our, our community and even over those in authority. We can stand before human authorities and, and kings because we have a delegated authority that comes by submitting and obeying the true king. And the currency of this kingdom is faith. That's the thing that pleases the Lord. Faith. Obedience leading to worship and kingdom living. And the fruit of this royalty is love. I get it that many here today might well be able to attribute their feelings about themselves to their foundation. You may have been a, a second child or a middle child and didn't get listened to. You may have been raised by a stepfather or stepmother and weren't listened to and were, were to be seen but not heard. You may have been abandoned and you have carry with you 
a spirit of abandonment. I get it that we have to start from that point to rebuild that thinking again that we are special, that we have something to say, we have a voice. And our king wants to hear it. And don't let that foundation rob you of the voice that you can have for our king to be an influencer, to be a world changer. I was the second son in the family. I didn't think my opinion mattered. When I said things on the farm, it was like no one listened. And I, I carried that for some time. I know it's a small thing, but it just was, a, I felt like I wasn't really that important. I've had to work that through. You know, we have to really go back to that base and say, Jesus, come and heal all of that stuff. Repair it. And maybe we've had this thing about, you know, just thinking that if we look all confident, it's going to somehow make us look more important. Jesus sees through it, eh? He gets through that stuff and he says, are you ready to live out the ways of royalty? He says to us, son, daughter, are you ready to come to me, to be rebuilt, to come and learn? My ways are good. My ways are the best, then let's learn to hear his voice today and obey fully the king of kings. You know, the, the, the line of kings just point to the fact that there is a true king. And God in his wisdom allowed all of that just to win our hearts. Isn't that amazing? He came to win us back from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us, those of us who have received him, into the kingdom of his glorious son. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, it's hard to at first uh, see where it's all going with these kings, but, Lord, when we realize that you came in person, we see fully what we should be like, what we can attain. Father, do some stuff today in each one of us. Lord, take away some of those hurts. I pray, Lord, rebuild the foundations, rebuild those, those things in us that, that criticism has destroyed, that put-downs has destroyed, that being not listened to has destroyed. Lord, that being abused has destroyed. Lord, I pray in your precious name, the blood of Jesus over those areas of our life, that we might walk and then run and be conquerors for you in your good time.